Hi, everyone, and welcome to an edition of Spartan Speak, a podcast hosted by the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal, alongside Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, here to talk Michigan State uh, football, some hoops, and um, we'll just get into it here. Uh, we've been away a little while with the uh, Thanksgiving break, and um, and us being in different cities, Chris and State College, me in Portland, um, and but there's uh, but there's a, a lot to get into. There's a football season that appears to be over now, if even if not officially, a basketball season that is. Um, you know, a five and two basketball team that's had some interesting developments since we last uh, convened, and uh, you know, there's been uh, some some off the field resolutions in football in terms of uh, player punishment and um, university punishment and all that good jazz. So uh, let's, Chris, let's let's start with football. Um, the and transcontinental the team is back together, by the way. <laughs> and the uh, the season. That is now appears to be over. Ninety nine point five percent, I would say, uh, yeah, should be over. I mean, the only, I, you know, the only thing that I think would help that their cause at this point, because I believe there are three bold spots open with at least two more teams and possibly three that could still get the six wins. Um, and you know, then it would come down to. Are, are certain teams even if even if there is any spots open for a five win team what other teams decline a bowl bid um uh, i think i saw unlv plan to accept it even though it fired its coach um auburn seems up in the air and those were a couple teams ahead of msu in the apr so it, it seems all but likely that this will be the just the second time uh since i believe 2006 that michigan state has not gone to a bowl game yeah, and, and and frankly, I don't think. I mean, I'm not saying when. Uh, at this point, it feels like the season's over, right? It doesn't feel. You got you know, Jaden Reed's saying he's going to the NFL for sure. You got your your kicker just kicked a, a 51 yarder, announcing he's he's going in the transfer portal. Um, you know, it this it feels like the players have wrapped in their heads. Like it would be a weird place to come back now and, and play some game that that's that's yeah. unexpected. That's the that's the challenge of the five and seven team. And the only yeah, a lot of the. I mean, Peyton Thorne and Xavier Henderson didn't even realize there was a chance to go at five wins. Right. Yeah. Xavier Henderson on on Saturday said that, he, you know, he started talking, saying his farewells in the locker room, Penn State after the loss, and coaches were like, "No, we're we got a chance. We're not doing this now. We'll do it at a different time." He was like, "What?" So that I mean, that's you know, at, at the same point for guys like him. I mean, I saw Daniel Barker. Uh, earlier today, and we're recording on uh, Tuesday afternoon. Um, but Daniel Barker announced that he's done, and I mean he's out of eligibility after the season, anyways. But basically, to me, it means he's not going to play in a bowl game if they do get one. You know, guys that have bowl decision or NFL draft decisions and things like that. Th- this is the time that that you would see them, for, particularly for a game like this, um, bypassing that. Um, 
I think that's, you know, then that's where you look at the younger players is would they benefit from that? You know, particularly like a guy like Jeremy Bernard, if without a Jaden Reed there, getting more snaps, getting another game, or, you know, look at some of the younger running backs like a Davion Prim, um, maybe getting some snaps, or some of the younger tight ends who haven't played yet. You know, I think Nickel and Masanas haven't played the true freshman the red shirts preserved. So those guys who, who preserve their red shirts could play in this game. So there, there would be benefits. I just don't see them. I, I don't, I mean, like I said, I mean, 0.05% chance at the most, I mean, may 0.5 at the most. And that might even be high watermark. It's it's the season's pretty much done. And, and I think it should be done. Like you don't even want a game if you're a five and seven team, unless you're one of these teams that like it's early in a 10 year and you've got a team that, that, found something late and there's an excitement to maybe be in something like there, there would be zero buzz. And I understand the bowl practice argument. I would counter that with an essential month for recruiting and anything that gets in the way of that is a distraction. And, um, well, one of the things, so, so let's say, let's say they did miraculously. And this is because again, I don't believe they will, but let's say Michigan state got a game against army at say like the military bowl in Dallas or Fort Worth or wherever it is now. Um, I think there would be some buzz for that. You know, there, there are circumstances, you know, would there be a buzz for a, for a, a quick lane bowl down in Detroit? Mm, probably not, but if it people was... want to see this team play again, does this team want to play again? I mean, those are the questions. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I'm I think that, but it's football. There's always going to be people wanting to watch more and more football, as we've seen with expansion of the NFL season and expansion in playoffs. I mean, expansion in the college football players is coming. More football is always a good thing for eyeballs, and doesn't matter what game it is. There, there wouldn't be 41 bowl games if people weren't watching. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's sort of like. Um, I, I mean, I, I totally get from that perspective. So I, I don't, we don't, I don't think it's going to happen. So the real question now for Michigan State football is where things go and sort of the, you know, the 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 obituary of this season a little bit. And and um, it, it will be interesting because they do have some young playmakers who I think are, um, you know, worth um, are going to be good next year. Are going to be guys that could be factors. I think Keon Coleman is going to be an NFL receiver, and he has got another year. Uh, I, I also think this was. In, I think this. I think Michigan State going to a bowl game is to the detriment of the basketball program to do the degree that if you are a fan who's sort of the the your happiness is based on the overall success of those two programs in a given year, then you need the football season to be over because it delays that by a month. And I think with Keon Coleman specifically, there's an opportunity to help. I also think, though, going back to the football part of that, um, there are guys who you can build around a little. um, But ultimately, for this Michigan State football team to not be in the similar spot next year, they've got to develop in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They, they, They used to have an identity against the run, even in the lesser Mark D'Antonio years. That's gone completely. They're the worst in the Big Ten against the run. They they have not been able to be an adequate line of scrimmage in a long time. They were last outside of last year when I mean, I think you gotta you gotta look at the injuries up front. I mean, 
Let's go That's through. Let's go through and go through the level. injuries. I mean, they were without Jeff Petrosky and Chris Bogle. Those are your those are two of your top three defensive ends. Uh, then the other defensive end who moved back to linebacker and Jacoby Winman gets suspended. You you get a freshman in Zion Young who was emerging gets suspended. Brandon Wright, your top three four defensive end gets suspended. Um, I mean, those guys alone changed the dynamic of of against the run. But then you had Jacob Slade injured. You had Simeon Barrow in and out all season with injuries. Um, you know, really, I think the only guy who wasn't hurt on that defensive line at one point or another was Derek Harmon. And I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Cause that, that was, that is still a talented defensive line. And when they were healthy and you know, <laughs> the random moments when they were healthy, quite honestly, you could see them getting pressure. I mean, they got pressure against Penn state. Um, they, they, they got three sacks in that game and they were able to turn it up, but they had no edge pressure. And that right. was going to be an issue coming into the year. And then you lose basically f- your top five defensive ends. I mean, what program's ever done that yeah. and been good against the run? Because they were getting gashed on the outside. So, I mean, I, I I think you have to give that a bit of a pass right now. My only issue with that is injuries are every year. There will be 47 injuries. Not next to that year. extent. You're, you're also adding in the suspensions. Suspensions do matter. And, and so, and okay, I'll give the defensive line uh, a little bit of a pass there. And, and um but they've they've got to fix it up front in the trenches. I mean, we we saw the final play, you know, that led to the Peyton Thorne interception at the end. It just a complete uh, breakdown up front. He is throwing off his back foot while being hit, and that's the final real offensive play of the game. That is offensive that is, line. Yeah, you're you're spot on. I think on the offensive line. And so they've they've got to figure out how do you, and that and that really is the challenge for the program. How do you uh, build that and build it somewhat quickly? Well, and, and they, they had to by by absolute necessity when they 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 lost Jarrett Horst, Matt Carrick, and Brian Green. I mean, those were three of your six guys you had in your rotation. Now all of a sudden, you're forced into playing some of those younger guys. You're forced into getting a Geno Vandemark in there. You're forced into getting Brandon Baldwin in there. Um, I thought both of those guys had moments where they looked okay. And both of them had moments where they looked like they were young guys that needed snaps and development. Um, and I think the same goes for Spencer Brown all season. I mean, you know, those those three guys right now uh, heading into next season are are more or less going to be the anchors. You know, there's, I mean, what happens with J.D. Duplain after this? I don't know. Uh, I believe he's still got eligibility left. But, you know, he he's the one guy, I think, kind of like Kevin Jarvis last year, who could opt to test the draft and say, I'm I'm done. I've been in college long enough. I got my degree if he has it and then go off and and try and see if he can latch onto a team either late in the draft or as a as a free agent like Jarvis did. Um but I mean it's it's going to be another rebuilding year up front and it was kind of the case this year. So I mean you got back-to-back rebuild years and they they started to down the stretch if you take out I mean the Penn State game you're facing a much better high caliber defense. So, you know, the higher caliber defenses they struggled with. The Indianas, the Rutgers, um, even Illinois, they were able to move the ball a little bit. So, I mean, there's some positive motion, I think, in that. But they've got those younger guys that they need to get snaps and get them developed. That's, I think, where you really are missing out on a bowl game, particularly is the offensive line, because those those depth guys did not get game snaps this year. They did not get 
um, outside of special teams, maybe on PATs, the, the opportunities to, to really get in there and, and mix it up in part somewhat because they were out of games or they were close games. So I, I, that's where I think he missed it. But, you know, you're right, though. Got to figure that out quickly. And because when I look at next year, I mean, obviously they're, they'll have to figure out what they're going to do with the quarterback position. I think, um, you know, Peyton Thorne is somebody who has uh, been a uh, above average Big Ten quarterback. And and I know people are some people may disagree with that, but you just look at Big Ten quarterbacks. He has been above average, and he's been. I think he's a pretty good um, pre-snap decision maker. I think he's a pretty good thinker of the game in certain ways. I think he, at times he is. I think he's gutsy. He 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 shows some things, but he also um, at a certain point, you know, you're either going to reach a certain level or it's fair to be pushed by other guys. And I think you're at that time now where that's something they'll look at in the offseason. I think that's been fairly clear that 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 will be a competition. And he may win it, but it's going to be a competition. I know all the talk of, you know, what would, would would he stay and all that stuff. I mean, like, look, first of all, his dad's, his dad's staff just got fired at yep. Western Michigan. I don't think his dad was going to be back at Western Michigan next year, maybe anyway. Uh, and that was something that – that sort of developed late in that season so who knows he had anyway but so the the quarterback position you got to figure out but if your baseline is Peyton Thorne and if you got somebody better than that fine that's not your problem in your program I don't believe I believe you can win with him if you've got a lot of other if you've got enough got a lot of unknowns behind him I mean quite honestly but the, I mean, the, you don't have a quarterback in the 2023 recruiting class now um you're holding out hope for Dante Moore to flip um, which changes everything if that somehow happens. But wait a um, second, I thought Kate Hauser is the chosen one. What? what who cares about Dante? Like, here's my I, issue. I, you ask ask the fan base that can't <laughs> keep, keep its eyes off the next big thing. I mean, but that's. I'm, I'm, well, I'm just I, saying. I, I don't want to. I don't want to throw a fan base under the bus on that because that's the absolute nature of college football. I mean, you sure. saw it at, at Michigan with Kate McNamara winning a, the first Big Ten title in what 25, 30 years, and then. All of a sudden, he's broomed to the door because of the next big thing. I mean, that's just the nature of college football and sports fans in general. I mean, you know, and that's who knows. I mean, you know, that I, to me, the thing that was telling was in some of those games that, I mean, you get four games as a, as a redshirt freshman and Hauser had minimal snaps and it was behind Noah Kim. And the times that Noah Kim got in the game for the most part were with the number one offensive line for Michigan state going against number two and number three defenses. We talked about that before too. So you don't necessarily get a true picture of what that is. The fact to be that, that they continue to go back to Peyton Thorne tells me that there is still a gap there. There's still a gap, particularly down those last few games. They, you know, the, there was enough of a gap that, that they stuck with Thorne. So Either that, either that, or they don't want you know they want in the off season to have a competition. They don't, and they don't want. I, I think there's probably a gap between what they think in terms of him dealing with the situation around him, in terms of what you know when you don't have the offensive line, when you do have to, when you don't have the advantage athletically elsewhere. There are a lot of quarterbacks who can win when you do, and that's really going to become the question for Michigan State because they might need somebody else to Maybe. elevate them the way the way a Kenneth Walker elevated them, you might need a, a quarterback to be a star 
if you're not going to have the other components around you. And maybe Peyton Thorne can't be that person. And and the question is, to what degree can you get to that level next year? The other thing, Chris, or, or convert. Hold on, I'm I'm going to argue that because conversely, then you have the Charlie Batch effect, where if you've got an offensive line that is so putrid that you destroy a quarterback's confidence, absolutely. you don't want to do that either. At least Peyton Thorne has been through this now with offensive lines that were average or below average the past two years. He's been on the run. He understands how to move out of the pocket and evade pressure. You don't want to destroy a young quarterback's confidence. I mean, that's what happened with Charlie Batch. The the Lions' offensive line was so bad that he got shell-shocked, and he was a shell of the guy that you saw his his early part of his career. So you got all that to consider. Um and that position will be something that will be something to to watch. Uh, I think, you know, um, you'll be okay at running back. You'll be, you'll be fine at tight end. You'll be good at receiver. Th- these, those aren't real concerns. Those are places that, that could be strengths. Whether you, whether you have superstars at those positions or guys who can truly be problems, we'll find out. I think Coleman has a chance to be that. We'll see if they develop any other guys or, or bring anybody else in um, who can. I think the other the other element is this is the the coaching staff and decisions and the offensive coordinator and I was a uh, I, I was I really liked the job Jay Johnson did a year ago and it wasn't just because they went eleven and two I I thought um I just I thought when he had the the parts he was a really good coordinator now there are a lot of good coordinators when they have the parts and I did not think they did a really good job this year not only just in short yardage and they had trouble getting the one or two yards when they needed it. But also, they have they had difference makers at receiver, and they didn't always feature those guys well. There are coordinators and coaches out there who are better at featuring receivers and taking advantage of matchups than Michigan State was this year. Now, there may be other circumstances behind that. I think it's hard to be a coordinator when you don't win up front. Um, and Absolutely. that's something. But But those are things they need to look at. But uh, you also, that, you also as a coordinator, can't keep calling the same flea flicker when you don't have Kenneth Walker or that type of running back where all eyes are on him. I mean, and that you know, there were some moments where you saw that become an over reliance. And I mean, early on in the season, Thorne gets drilled on one of them uh, and ended up in interception. They succeeded on one uh i think in the first half of of one of the late season games um maybe indiana and then got picked off on the the second one or missed fired on the second one because it was completely red i mean so little things like that um i i think were i mean the last couple drives against penn state um you know i mean really the whole game against penn state it seemed like Penn State's defense was a step ahead of everything Michigan State was trying to do, whether it be a screen pass, whether it be and flooding the zone before anything, you know, anything could develop on that and recognizing what Michigan State was doing. There were definitely some tendencies that were picked up uh, by opposing defensive coordinators that that need to be readdressed at minimum uh, in the offseason. So defensively, it'll be, you know, they, they played a lot of young guys, and I think that'll help them um, in certain areas. You know, they they lose some some key dudes, though, as well. So that's not a, necessarily a unit that's automatically going to improve next year. Um, you know, if Darius Snow is the player that he was before he got hurt. I think that helps. I think that the experience helps. You know, you, you, gotta, you never again want to be in a situation where the injuries that hit them this year um, – 
are as, as damning as they were. Like you got to get your depth of talent to a point. And I think some of the young guys they played will help that to, to a degree. I just don't know if we'll see it next year yet. My gut is next year is a difficult year for this team and that the reality is, and, and it's going to be hard for people to be patient. Um, and, and, and ultimately what Mel Tucker and his staff have to do, because I do believe they're a couple years away from having a legitimate shot to, to compete and maybe three years away from really contending 2025. If you talk about just recruiting classes and what's fair to judge, but what they have to be better at is winning the games. They have an opportunity to win. They have to be better at the game management moments that frustrate people. If you maximize who you are, people will deal with the growth. And I think that's what they didn't do this year. You cannot have the Minnesota games where it's a no-show and you just get totally blown up, blown out. You can't have the collapse of the Indiana game. You can't have the final minutes where everything looks shaky. People will get frustrated with that. But if you maximize who you are, you get to seven wins. And people are seeing some growth in young players and there's some hope. I think there's there's people will deal with it, um, and ultimately they'll have to because they're not getting rid of Mel Tucker. So that's that's the other side of that. Well, that's a big part of it. I, I mean, you know, the the contract is such that you know that they're they're with him for for a while, regardless. And I don't think there's any, at least internal wavering on that at the moment. I don't either. Uh, but you know. I think the powers that be and the donors that be can be fickle sometimes like that, you know, particularly if you continue to regress and, you know, last year we talked about, you know, the 13 to 15 run given D'Antonio that, that grace uh, that allowed him to have the bounce back year after 2016. And then a little more grace in the two years after that, where things kind of sputtered, um, you know, and he probably would have had grace going into 2020, even still, because he had had built that up. He had a cachet of, of, of sentiment. But how long does the 11 and two season give Mel Tucker? I don't know. I mean, it. You know, well, it, it was, has to. It was a tremendous season. I mean, let's not let's not discount with the job that they did in, in in identifying some of those players to come in and contribute right away. Particularly, obviously, Kenneth Walker, but other guys as well. I mean, there were a number of guys that played depth minutes and depth snaps that really allowed that team to, to survive some of the problems in the secondary. Uh, and then this year, you know, you, you lost a lot of guys. You, you just lost a lot of guys throughout the course of the year. Um, you know, particularly in that four game stretch without Henderson and without Jacob Slade was a tough one. And then you added in Petrosky and you added in uh, losing Chris Bogle, you know, Bogle being a guy that you brought in. Winman then in the suspension down the stretch, guy you brought in who looked like he could have been the defensive Kenneth Walker for this team uh, and, and was in a lot of ways early in the season. So um, I don't know. I, I mean, how much goodwill can that 11 2 see? I mean, you have to show develop. I well, mean, to some degree, you can't have things be disaster. You can't lose a team. You can't have a year where things go. And I don't think the, I, here I give this staff a lot of credit be, and and the players themselves because they never lost this team. I mean, that team no. competed fiercely in in that Penn State game and were down five with a couple minutes to go. Um, which I I think there was absolute coaching malfeasance not to call a, to, a timeout on that fourth down play. 
absolute coaching malfeasance. I, I'm curious to see it, at some point if if someone on the staff admits that, because quite frankly, you got back in the game by a score. It's fourth down in the red zone of the other team with less than six minutes to go. You got to call that timeout and put your guys in the best possible position, particularly when you see them out man four to three. And it's a play I believe that Michigan State has run before. So even though you might have run it before, you got to go over that again and let them check out of it and do something different or whatever it might be. That that to me was I, I saw that and I couldn't believe that that they didn't call a timeout there. But the, I do give the players credit for fighting down the stretch, and I, I think the coaching staff never really lost them this year. So a couple things. One is I think that. You're right that there is there there is a level of compete that was all the way um, through the season. I think that um, one of the things the coaching staff does not do well, and Mel Tucker particularly does not does not do well, uh, is sort of admitting. You know, it's, he talks a lot about ownership and take you know own this, own this. He does not own individual mistakes real well, and and I don't know where that roots from if it, but. Ultimately, if you come across as fallible and people will forgive mistakes, you know, little things. When, when Tom Izzo said after the inbounds play from Joey Hauser against Villanova, I should have called timeout there. Okay, everybody moves on. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But when you're stubborn and it doesn't feel like you have any culpability and stuff, I think people get frustrated. The other thing I will say, though, is if outside of disaster, if you get rid of Mel Tucker before 2025, then – you should also fire the athletic director, entire uh, board of trustees, and whoever the new president is. Because well, we, we know you can't fire the board of trustees. I know. But what, yeah, otherwise they'd be long gone. Or, and and, what, and what, many of those who put Mel Tucker in place aren't there anymore. Because ultimately, when you hire a football coach, and a lot of programs don't give him this time, you have to give somebody until year four to me. Otherwise, you don't know what you're doing and you shouldn't be making that hire. Now, Year four with Mel Tucker, because of the situation with D'Antonio is year, in, in, in the pandemic, is year six. The same level, he didn't get what's usually one of the best recruiting classes for coaches, the initial class where you pull kids from the school you were previously at, you're selling a dream. If, you, if you're hiring Thanksgiving of 2019, totally different deal. He's not. So he doesn't get that class. He's got D'Antonio's 2020 class. Then you get COVID. And so for that, not all of it MSU's fault, but for that, he gets into the 2025 season, which is the year that his initial class, and his initial class is true freshman now. This is year one for Mel Tucker in terms of how you judge a football coach traditionally. This is year one. Now, we can say you don't judge football coaches any more that way, and they don't get that kind of time, and transfer portal changes some things. But what for what Michigan State is hoping Mel Tucker will become and do for their program, this is year one. True freshman of his first real class this year. When they are redshirt juniors and seniors – that is the first year that I think it is fair to say he ought to contend against Ohio State. Um, I think that is – And so, that, said, that said, those 20 and 21 classes are still his classes. How are Excuse they? Me, the, 21, the 21 and 22 classes, I should say. Yeah, the 22 is freshman this year. That's what I just said. His but true again, right well, we've already seen one freshman now go into the portal with Jack Stone, the kicker. Well, that's fair. That's fair. There will be and some of that. And you had attrition. You had attrition from the twenty and twenty-one classes quite yeah, a bit. The, the Zoom babies I mean, don't count. Show, I mean, don't. to me, there's got to be, um, you know, I mean, it, it, there's got to be 
some stick to itiveness to it. I mean, you got to have you got to have the players staying within the program um, because otherwise, if you don't have those players staying within the program, and I think this is going to be a very telling point between now and when the portal opens. If anybody else from the last two classes go in there, um, we saw a lot of freshmen last year go into the portal. So I, I think it's Im- imperative right now to because you, know, you got to not only build your future classes and, and retain the class you got built for 23 you got to make sure you got guys coming back and buying into what you're selling too um, from those younger guys. Um, I, I think that's imperative because otherwise now you've got, it, it, you can say that, yeah, those, those, the 20 class was D'Antonio's um, the 21 class wasn't put together in a normal way, but if you start building it and it becomes a trend, now you got a deeper issue that you got to deal with. Yeah, no, and, and, and absolutely. So those are things they got to look at. But I, I mean, I, I'll write that column at some point if they if they were to. Get, I mean, I, you, you cannot get rid of a coach prematurely. The twenty the twenty twenty class. I mean, it, it stinks. COVID happened. Cassius Winston didn't get a chance to play for another national title. Mel Tucker didn't get a chance to really recruit a class. And it is what it is. It stinks, but I it. You got to give him time, or, or, I mean, because I mean, here's, yeah, and and we'll see. I mean, they are going to get a new school president, and so that'll uh, affect things. And I think everybody is. Um, I think everybody let, let, in, in let that administration I think everybody administration right now still very much wants him to succeed and is very much on the Mel Tucker train. And so yeah, I, think I don't disagree other, with that. Yeah, and I I think they should be, but at the same point, you, you talk about you know, giving him time, but he's not also not giving himself time over the last, he he re, has refused. You talk about the stubbornness. He refused to take, you know, kind of a pass for that 2020 season. Um, he was adamant about that. Um, he's been adamant that you got to win. You got to win now um, while still building. So, I mean, you know, some of it comes on. And again, no, no one on the outside was, really pushing the narrative as much as Michigan state internally was that they could compete for a national title this year. So oh, that's true. That's true. They, you they, gotta they, have they, some, I, I think there's gotta be a little recalibration in terms of the hype train, you know, build yourself before you start building toward others. I, I that's just my personal opinion on that. Um, you know, because I mean, the issues that we thought and saw coming into the year as laymen out here with the offensive line, with the the secondary, um, with the defensive end depth, all became issues. All were issues all year long. They developed some down the stretch, but by that point, any dreams of a national championship had months earlier disappeared. So you got to keep things realistic on what you're building and how you're building it and when it is. I mean. Give people a realistic timetable. So the other thing that's happened here is there there are uh, of the the eight players who were suspended, uh, yeah, you know, seven were charged, one with a felony. Uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and uh, all but one uh, have been reinstated uh, to the team, and Crump uh, will be. Um, if he's if he's part of the program, which I, I have my doubts, he will be out at least eight games. Um, one one player not charged in all this is Malcolm Jones. Correct. I think correct. it's important to get that because, um, you know, I had heard from some people, and I, I in all the evidence that I reviewed myself, which 
again, talking about layman, you know, I, I didn't see him in any of it. And I, I know that there were some people outside outside of the Michigan State camp that felt that he was a guy who I, I believe the term I had heard was getting railroaded. So it, it was, you know, seeing him not being suspended. Um, well, excuse me, not being charged, but still having to go through a four game suspension. Um, you know, certainly kind of a, a tough deal for him, but the other, and I know you wrote about this, um, the charges themselves, but you know, the other six players, Crump getting a felony and, um, you know, Jacoby Winman, Justin White, uh, Zion Young, Brandon Wright, uh, Atavian Brown, uh, and I, I'm missing one other player uh, in there. Uh, but those those other uh, six players getting misdemeanor charges. So, uh, you know, kind of if you want to reset what you wrote on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – I thought that um, – first of all, I thought it, it, it took a little long. I, I didn't – but I understood – understood early on that they were hoping to uh you know but basically the big 10 gave almost no guidance on this right and 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 i think that was um well i think it's important i think an important caveat with that is to understand that i don't believe the big 10 has been in a situation like this before where criminal charges were being pressed based upon something that happened within the confines of the big 10's game management policy which isn't the 60 minutes whistle to whistle it's when you arrive at the stadium and when you leave the stadium this happened in the arena so to speak to some degree and i think that's what made this different and that's what made i thought charges were a bit much outside of crump like that to me you know, look you swing a helmet repeatedly at somebody I, you you know i'm not gonna defend you and and frankly the other guys deserved accountability most of them as well and they and they had it and they got it um that i mean they, they were suspended for quite a bit of time um, I, I thought there was some abdication of leadership a little bit on the Big Ten's part, but um, I, I thought the—I mean—the charges from the beginning are, are, are to me are a slope you don't want to go down because, and I and I didn't like the way uh, uh, that Jim Harbaugh and uh, Ward Manuel, Harbaugh especially, pushed charges from the onset. I thought that was um, unnecessary, unhelpful, a slope we don't want to get down. I just—you just don't need that. You do not need. It was it was not needed. Then. It was, and and I know there are a lot of people who are talking about you know there's a lot of whataboutisms and and glass houses and and that's all that's all all fair as well. But if you just want to state with this situation and these guys, you are talking about a situation that happened in a tunnel, part of the stadium, ten minutes after a heated game. It is it is essentially to some degree part of the arena. Still, this is not this is not. Uh, you know, uh, something that happened in an alley or in a mall or anything like that. So there, there are, um, to me, I, I was not a fan of the fact that those, that they went ahead with charges, you know, I, well, look, and I'll, 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 I just want to interject this. I, you know, in, in some ways, cause I do agree with you on that. Um, because my question now is the big tens policy is, you know, basically the, the game management is when you get to a place and when you leave a place, right? You know, the, the, the host university is responsible for all of those things. But outside of that, what happens if something like this happens on the field? Will there be criminal charges pressed for that now? 
I mean, the precedent's being set that it's not just simply off the, on the field within the Big Ten's game management situation. Right. And then you get, you know, and the decision by the Big Ten to then find Michigan State 100000 I don't care about that. Michigan State, I know a lot of people do. Um, I, I just don't. There are bigger things in the world, whatever. Uh, the, 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 the reprimand in Michigan, which felt like a tight slap, and I'm not 100% sure that, you know, Ward Manuel said that it was just for the fan that touched the Mel Tucker's head. Um, apologies there. Um, Correct. That's what that's what Ward Manuel said. I'm not his, sure. In his that, statement. I'm not sure that that's what the Big Ten meant uh, 100%. Um, but because uh, ultimately you have an issue there um, with that tunnel. And it's not about having one tunnel. Michigan State's got one tunnel. It's about the 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 depth the width of the tunnel but more the the clog of players that happens because of where the two doors are it's not like it at Spartan Stadium where you go down the tunnel and you turn a corner and you separate completely before you go into locker rooms it's like the locker rooms are are, are right there and so there's a backlog and and that's part of the problem and that's something that can be done, fixed with construction and frankly should be fixed with construction and Michigan should own that too um but it, you know so I um but the the hundred k thing I whatever the the Michigan reprimand um that they get off whatever I I'm, I'm not as I, I guess I'm not as outraged by that as some people I think I don't know if if Ward Manuel's not being completely honest about what the reprimand was for I think that's kind of crap um but I don't know that entirely yet based on what I read from the Big Ten and what he said they don't quite seem to line up but um then again the Big Ten was just I just dealt with the you know, Jogger Joshua thing in hockey and the Big Ten's decision-making and accountability there wasn't great. So I don't know what to make of, of some of the decisions coming out of the Big Ten yeah. offense. And, right and my question is, I mean, what were they previously reprimanded for? Because their policy is, and what I was told is this was the second uh, offense. So that means that the first offense, uh, contrary to what some people have said, was not the Ohio State game last year but it was based on the James Franklin situation, which was about the tunnel. Yeah. So that was on the book already. Yeah, no. So I'm hoping, and I know for some of these players, there are court cases and it's not entirely, and this is drags on because of that. And this, you know, triggers people like, unlike anything else. Uh, my, My urging would be this. Every time this story triggers you, give to your local food bank. Like just put stuff in perspective. I don't know. I it's just it's just me. I, I just there's a whole lot of people that would be giving a lot of canned goods. Then let's do that. Then let's let, let's do let's do that. And I'm not saying there On aren't both things, sides. I'm not saying there aren't things that are unfair. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't things that that are historically go back to uh, you know the Big Ten and Michigan and and the way Michigan's treated versus MSU. I get all that. I do. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as emotionally. I do it maybe and I don't I'm not as angry about it but uh, I mean I understand why people are are are, are upset to, to, to some degree um and um all right well let's including the basketball coach who uh is, is upset but he is like you he is like the people listening to this he is a fan who is a diehard Michigan State Spartan who has been through a lot of years and he's dealt with that rivalry in ways that a lot of people 
uh, have and haven't had to put up with, you know, in terms of the recruiting against Michigan in the 80s, 90s. And so he feels a certain way and it is deep rooted. And and that is going to come out every time he speaks about this um, for sure. But he's also coaching a basketball team that is um, off to a somewhat interesting uh, start here. And I think if they can win at Notre Dame Wednesday night and you and I will be down there, they will um, be 6-2 and two to finish November, which they would have signed up for entirely. And given the injuries to Jaden Akins and Lee Hall and the way th- this last week or so has gone, uh, I-, I think they would have signed up for that 100%. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, without those injuries, you don't maybe see the step forward that Pierre Brooks took over those last couple games out in Portland. Um, the ability that he showed to kind of hit those outside shots and – Maybe we kind of we remember how we had that conversation with with uh, Phil Friend, our friend, in in the summer of what exactly that forty three or forty four points a game in Moneyball translates to. Um, you kind of I think he averaged probably about right around that twelve points out there somewhere in that range. So, um, but that's something that they need. I mean, they they need a guy to. I mean, Brooks has the body and the mental demeanor to be that that guy elevate his game to that next plateau um and i think that he just needed a few minutes and they they didn't have the opportunity to maybe give him some of those minutes early with how hall was playing and with, with how they had akins in there so that basically just swung the door wide open for him and he's got another chance uh on wednesday night to to do the same and and show that it, it wasn't just a fluke because Tom is on on uh, in between talking about football. Um, said that Jay Nakins is doubtful, probably at best, um, for the Notre Dame game. So yeah, it, you know, I, I think um, yeah, and because he wants him to play a, practice a couple of good days before he plays, and, and yeah, yeah, that's going. exactly what he said. He wants him to have three or four days without pain before he okay. does that. And they're just with the quick trip back from Portland and really not getting on the court till late Monday to even do walkthrough stuff. I, I know Jaden was there uh, going through some stuff on his own uh, at that point, but I just it doesn't seem like there's enough time, and they do want to err on the side of caution uh, for his health. Um, and I even asked Tom if, if I said, is it do you, do you also keep the Big Ten opener in mind, which is coming up over the weekend? And he's like, I'm really more worried about it in a game to day, day to day, game to game situation, um, and his long term health. So, yeah, I, I ran into Jaden's dad in the Portland airport. I think it was, uh, and you know, I mean, he he's somebody who's not he's just not concerned, um, but he's also had to sort of preach patience to 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 Jaden that you know these, you know, he's just never had this sort of thing that, and um, and I think even if it costs them a game, even if it costs them a Big Ten game, because I'll be honest, if he's not back for the Penn State game next week, um, you, you know, that that's a game they could very well lose on the road to a, a Penn State team that's been off to a decent start that's well coached. and um, So, but yeah, they've gotten away with it so far, and it has created opportunities for guys like uh, uh, Pierre Brooks, who uh, I think one of the important things, it wasn't just opportunity too, it was, you know, Pierre realizing that he has to do more than shoot. And in that, like that game against Portland, when he started crashing the offensive glass, when he started being a factor in other ways, 
it changed who MSU was because MSU's advantage in that game was not just going tit for tat shooting. Like Brooks is a, uh, a a good shooter, but Portland had a lot of good shooters. It was athletic ability. It was it was size. It was strength. It was ability to cause problems in the lane. And he and, and AJ Hogard really changed that game when they sort of joined the fray. And and I, um, but Brooks is shooting. He's over forty one percent on the year. I think like fourteen for. 31 or 30, whatever. I can, that's, that'd be more than 50. I don't know. Whatever the percentages are. But he's got 14 threes and he's over 34%. Or he's uh, or over, sorry, over 41%. And I think he has given them something that they can rely on shooting-wise. Hauser being the other guys. I think, you know, you will see the numbers creep up a little bit from Tyson Walker and his three-point shot. Although a lot is being asked of him right now. So that, yeah. that doesn't help your your percentages. Um, but but it, I, I do think this stretch could help them long-term as long as those two guys coming back can stay healthy once they come back. Because- and, and Hauser, too, off that – I mean, that ankle. I mean, he play, give him some credit for playing through that because that, that was some grit that, you know, I, I think you're seeing a little different side of Joey Hauser this year in terms of toughness that that you, you wondered at some point if he would show it, and I, I think he has been. And I, I said coming into the year that he was a good chance that he could be the team's leading scorer and rebounder. Um, and he, I don't, I don't think he, he's shown that it, it can't be. I mean, you take out that game in the aircraft carrier where it's a totally different environment and everything. He's played fairly well and, and fairly consistently too. Um, particularly when you don't have him guarding the other team's fives. Well, that's the key. And I think this Notre Dame game will be a game where Notre Dame does not present a lot of athletic challenges. They have a freshman off the bench who's a true power forward, but they play basically, uh, you know, four guard slash wings around a four man who's playing the five as a stretch four. So you can do it. You can get away with some lineups. And I, and I do love, like I would have loved this matchup for Michigan state if they were a hundred percent. I think not being a hundred percent, it's still a break because you're not playing a team that um, is going to cause you athletic problems. And so they have a, they have a, a fighting chance in this game. Notre Dame just lost the same Bonaventure in a neutral site game out in New York. And they were picked to be top six in the ACC, but it doesn't look, like that right now at least they only play six guys um and uh so i mean there are a lot of things they don't it's not a ton of pace and um you know i, I mean i think that uh you know I, I think this is not a bad time for this game for michigan state yeah. as you're trying to escape november six and two well and i do think the the thing that i the other thing that i took away from from watching those three games out in portland uh most of them from pennsylvania was how you could replicate that old fire and ice poster with with snow and respite and put good AJ Hogarth and bad AJ Hogarth on either side of it because I mean the guy has been as mercurial of a player as I've seen when he's good he's really good and when he's bad he is unmistakably bad I mean you know and you could you're starting to see what Tom Izzo was preaching during the off season playing out in real time wh- where he's trying to almost like almost like rein in uh in, in, and and bring in a stallion that you know you you want to be able to trot and go at that pace but still has that that wild buck in him that you know at times is costly with some of the mistakes and turnovers that he makes and some of the decisions that he makes and you know there was one one possession in particular comes to mind and i think it was in the uh second game of the tournament 
where he had a absolutely egregious drive and turnover uh, at the one end of the floor, gets back on defense, and Trey Holloman gets beat uh, and called for a foul, and and Hogard is screaming in Holloman's face at that point, which it's all well and good if you didn't commit the turnover to send it back the other way. So there's, I mean, there there's a lot of hot and cold with him that I think that is kind of the next, to me, the next big phase. You got to get him playing consistently within himself. And it could be a season long thing, Um, or he can figure it out by the big 10 and come January, do things on a much even plane. Yeah, it's going to look, this is going to be a fascinating, and I think the the schedule sets up really well in a lot of ways, because I I mean, this is going to be an interesting next week or so, but then you have Brown, uh, you have, a break and then you have Oakland and another break and then Buffalo. And then you get to the teeth of big 10 play and they'll, they'll be able to work in those two football players. I think Keon Coleman's a guy who will uh, push for spot rotation minutes. Certainly if he had been part of the team since September and they were down the guys they are now, he would be playing right now. Um, I, I firmly believe that. And then you have, you'll have time to get Malik Hall back in, 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 in the swing of things. And, um, and obviously, they need to see what what Aikens can can be and become. I think that December is going to be really important um, for them in a number of ways. I think. That, look, this is a team that Chris would they have. I don't want to say they've they've surprised a little bit. There, there is there. They've got a little something yeah. to them. They've got a backcourt that's got a chance, and a Hogard is a big part of that. Walker, I think you know is going to give you a certain thing. You've seen a better version of Joey Hauser, improved Pierre Brooks, everything they wanted, improved Maddie Sissoko, even the freshman bigs. I think are. Jackson Kohler is taking steps game to game. So, I mean, everything that people want. Carson Cooper. I mean, Carson Cooper wasn't even thought of to be in a rotation three months ago, four months ago, and has taken strides and yep. at a high curve. So, what, what's your what's your pick for this game down in South Bend? Yeah, I've got him winning seventy four to sixty seven. I just think going on the road, you know that that game at Portland gives them a little bit of a battle test again. Uh, rather instead of coming out of a neutral site event, you've you've been tested, and then you were tested down to the, the wire in that one. I think that helps them uh, a considerable amount in this. And you know, I, I think you get the Big Ten season at seven and two. And Tom Izzo even said it. He said that he he's maybe even a little surprised with where they are at and a little farther ahead of his expectations. And it's rare to hear him say that. So I, I got them winning by seven down there. How about you? Yeah, I think I've got a little closer than that, but you know, sixty-four, sixty-seven, something like that. I mean, it's the um, it, it's interesting because I don't I, I don't think there'll be a ton of pace, but also Notre Dame's not very good defensively, so I can't really get a great read on certain things. Um, but they can shoot a little bit. I'm not sure what the crowd will be like for Notre Dame basketball these days. It certainly ain't Notre Dame football. So, um, but I think I've got it sixty-seven, sixty-four. We will have complete coverage at freep.com, lsj.com, and greenandwhite.com, and We'll be back uh, next week, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll do another one of these uh, before or after uh, uh, the the trip to State College, Pennsylvania. Um, good stuff, Chris. You and, too, Greg. Uh, uh, for Chris, for myself, uh, this has been a um, product of the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press. And if you would like to uh, subscribe to this podcast, please do rate it, like it, love it. Uh, try not to throw too much fruit at us.
and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.